Welcome, everybody. It's the Case Law Show podcast, and uh, tonight we have Kevin Cook on from Templeman LLP, and we're discussing the limitation period and the effects of it that it's been kind of stayed for the time being with regards to coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Just really, uh, it's a great show. Kevin gives some really good insight into uh, what the limitation period really means and all the different effects on it and uh, and what his thoughts are on when they bring the limitation back and how they're actually going to roll it out when uh, this is all done. So there's a few thoughts on it and uh, sit back and relax and enjoy this. It's a great podcast. So guys, just to let you know, um, Archon Engineering and Randy Henderson have been very generous and as we can't do any sporting events this year or at this time, uh, they've decided they're going to switch over and give out $100 gift cards. So uh, if you win on our trivia show right now, you'd get a gift card of your choosing. So thanks again to Randy and all the guys and gals at uh, Archon Engineering. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, it's uh, Terry Doherty. We're at the WP Radio, and I have Kevin Cook from Templeman uh, LLP on the phone. And Kevin, thanks again for being with us tonight. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Terry. It's the Case Law Podcast, and I've got <laughs> Kevin joining us. And uh, Kevin, uh, I think this is timely. We have some some things going on in the world right now. We've got this COVID nineteen, and you know everyone's self isolating, and we've got changes with insurance and regulations, and and basically everything that's going on. So I was hoping you could maybe talk to me tonight about uh, you know some of the things that's going on with regards to insurance, limitation periods, and uh, just stuff, kind of general stuff, if you've got some information for me tonight that and for our audience with regards to COVID-19. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Terry. I appreciate it. And uh, I believe the, the reason why I was supposed to come on was to talk a little bit about this recent emergency order that was passed by uh, by by Ontario in terms of the, uh, the the limitation period and how those are being suspended as a result of the current COVID-19 crisis. So uh, what's happening as a result of this is the suspension of the limitation periods in Ontario. So I can get into that a bit with you if you'd like and what that might mean to some of your listeners. Uh, I can give a background to start. I think that's probably a little bit of... Uh, well, let's for, you. for sure. Like, let's let's talk about uh, the limitation period as it was prior to this. Um, you know, so right. our right. audience kind of knows where we're at with what it was and where we're at now. Sure. So, most limitation periods in Ontario are governed by the Limitations Act. It was an act passed in 2002, and essentially, what it means is that the court will dismiss a lawsuit if the limitation period has expired before the actions commenced. So the basic limitation period in Ontario is two years, meaning that a claim, a a statement of claim, must be started or commenced within two years from the date that it's discovered. So as an example, uh, if they see you sustain a property loss, likely you discovered it on the date that the the loss happened, that would be the date that the limitation period starts. Two years from that date, you have an opportunity to start a claim. So the discoverability uh, period you're, we're referring to, right? It, it, exactly. And, and, and what lawyers sometimes get um, caught up in is when actions are discoverable, right? So when you actually discover that you, that you sustained a loss. So uh, as an example, if you're in a motor vehicle accident, 
I would argue that it's pretty clear that you discovered that you sustained a loss on the day that you were in the motor vehicle accident. Now, it's not always the case, but uh, that, that's a pretty concrete example of, of, of a discoverability issue. Other things when it gets into, like, um, for example, an oil, an, oil, an oil spill. You might not know that there's oil in your ground. Um, so that might be a discoverability issue, and then you get into issues of figuring out when you knew about your claim and whether you acted within that two-year time frame. And, and what's reasonable, too, right? So the courts give some leeway on that? Yeah, well, I think they're trying to they're trying to err on the side of caution in terms of making sure that they're not prescribing the the, the potential plaintiff with too much uh, too much leeway. But you have to be reasonable, right? I mean, as using the oil spill as an example, uh, just because you walk outside and you say five years ago you think you smelled oil, that doesn't mean it was absolutely discoverable at that time. As a defense lawyer, I would certainly argue that. <laughs> but you need to be you need to be able to argue, uh, demonstrate some some specific examples of uh, of discoverability. So there's usually in Ontario a two year uh, a two year basic limitation period. There are some exceptions. Um, I don't think I need to get into the weeds of some of the shorter limitation periods, but generally most cases in Ontario there are two year limitation periods. And that limitation period is to start an action, right? And then, That's exactly and right. then you've so, got some time to issue it and serve it as well, right? Right. So you, you need to issue the claim within within two years, uh, within two years, and you do have uh, a little bit of time under the, the rules of civil procedure in Ontario to to serve the claim uh, uh, upon the people who are are the defendants named in the action. Okay. Great. So in in essence, and and again, I'm not going into the weeds, but so you've got the example, you've got the oil spill. So another example that I always, you know, I've, I've had to err on the caution in my job is you have somebody that goes away on vacation, uh, their house gets broken into, and they've been away for two weeks. Uh, I always put the date of loss at the end of when they come back. So their actual date of loss, unless there's an alarm or somebody noticed it, but at the end when they come back from vacation. So, you know, they're gone from the 1st to the 14th. The date of loss is somewhere in there, but really, you know, they discovered it on the 14th upon their return. That would be really, you know, this starts the clock ticking from there. You'd agree? Yeah, yeah. I, generally, I would agree. Every every case is fact-specific, right? So, sure. Uh, I always I always compare it. I, I have somewhere in the range of about 100 files and, there's a hundred little little clocks ticking sure. uh, around my, <laughs> my head at all at all times, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, and then, yeah, that if, if if you think about it like that, you can you can drive yourself crazy. But limitations are always something that I think most prudent lawyers are going to be thinking about, and most prudent uh, insurance adjusters should be thinking about as well. Sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about these changes and kind of, you know, what's happened in, you know, with COVID-19. There's a lot of things going on. The government seems to be shut down, but yet I read it's not shut down. So you're still able to issue a claim. They're still able to serve it. You're still able to defend it, but you don't have to. So can there seems to be a lot of gray area going on with that. Can you, can you maybe... Uh, bring some finality to it for me or clean it up a little bit make it a little more black and white yeah 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 it's yeah Yeah. it's 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 interesting i'll do i'll do my best Terry. but i'll I'll tell you it's it's such an interesting time and i mean this is going to be the least uh the least compelling thing i'll probably say on the entire podcast is that everything is so up in the air right now and 
in the law, as well as every other aspect of our lives, right? We just don't know what this uh, this pandemic is going to bring from, from day to day, frankly, from, from hour to hour. But there was a recent uh, change made uh, that I think your listeners will, will find interesting, um, and that was uh, an Ontario regulation that was passed. And that was, uh, it was part, passed on March 17th, 2020, uh, and it was an order in council. And what it effectively did was that it made any provision or statute, regulation, rule, or bylaw of the government that establishes a limitation period is suspended for the duration of the emergency. So uh, the Ontario government uh, declared a state of emergency on uh, March 17, 2020, and uh, for the duration of that state of emergency, uh, all limitation periods in Ontario are suspended. The other interesting thing about this order in council is that uh, any provision, uh, rule, uh, bylaw under the Ontario government that establishes a time frame to act. Uh, I'll give you an example. A defendant has 20 days to serve a, uh, a statement of defense uh, once they've been served with a statement of claim. Those timelines are also suspended. So if you were served with a statement of claim, as an example, on March 15th or March 16th, 2020, typically you would have 20 days to serve a statement of defense. Uh, those timelines are now suspended. So that's uh, the major step that's been taken by, by the Ontario government is to suspend all limitation periods and to suspend all sort of procedural timelines that exist uh, in litigation. Would that flow through to uh, setting down something for trial at this time? So if you've maybe you've you've started your action, you've gone through settlement, uh, had your settlement conference, and you needed to set something down for trial within the thirty days, is that also part of that? So that's kind of gone by the wayside at this time. And it, uh, I'll, I'll give this the caveat that almost every uh, every lawyer who's speaking in a non-client uh, uh, lawyer. Uh, conversation yet is that none of this is legal advice this is just my interpretation of things sure but my my expectation would be that uh that that timeline is suspended right the the message the overall message that i think the ontario government is giving here is stay home don't worry about these timelines they're suspended they're not in effect so uh stay home self-isolate don't worry about your litigation timelines don't worry about those hundreds of clocks that are ticking above your head. Uh, focus on uh, being safe and not 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 what what procedural timelines or limitation periods that that exist that might be out there. Complying with them. Wow. Okay. So it just. Yeah. Uh, for all those people, I guess, dealing with small claims court actions or provincial offenses, all that stuff just seems to have stopped at effective March seventeenth until well, further notice. Yeah, provincial offenses uh, actions uh, may may have a different effect on these because some of them are quasi criminal, right? So that's another issue as well. So I would be consulting with a lawyer if you are subject to a provincial offenses action. Oh, okay. I'm mostly t- yeah, I'm mostly talking about the the the, um, the context of civil claims. But with regards to the courts, all courts are closed at this time, right? That's correct, with the exception of. Uh, of emergency uh, situations, so I know that, for instance, child protection uh, issues are 
are still being heard before the courts. And I know every jurisdiction is different. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that um, in the jurisdiction that I practice in, which is which is Kingston, uh, that you can you can alert the the trial coordinator and and, and the judge to to what you think is an emergency situation, uh, and they will make a determination whether or not they 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 think it is. So it's something that I, they've identified a few specific areas, and some of them are criminal, some of them relate to child protection issues. Uh, but if there's a, a compelling case to be made about an urgent issue that that isn't identified, uh, the court is certainly willing to entertain that. Okay. All right. So for all those people, I guess, with uh, provincial offenses or highway traffic tax, I guess, go to your contact your local courthouse, figure out what's going on. I'm just trying to yeah, shed they, the light or whatever. Be, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I know we're we're supposed to give each other the uh, the, the opportunity to to both speak. But yeah, I I would say that if you have an ongoing claim, certainly contact your lawyer just to be absolutely uh, certain about what, what your obligations are. Uh, I can only really speak to the area and scope of my practice, which is generally civil litigation. Okay. So, Kevin, what else has come out of this? Like, uh, it, I mean, it, that that in itself is pretty interesting, but w- when it says until further notice, is, is that when they determine it's no longer an emergency, then you know that you, all that, those days are gone? And we just start the ticker from there. How does that work? Well, that's an excellent question, and it's and it's 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 open to interpretation. I, I did a little background looking into this and back some background research before I, I had a call tonight, and I tried to see what other lawyers are saying about it. And I had one lawyer who went as far to say as uh, as soon as the emergency's over, the clock ticks as if as if uh, as if nothing had happened. Uh, I don't read the, the 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 order in council exactly the same way. It's kind of gray in that sense, kind of like the times we're living in. It says you know, all limitation periods are suspended. Now, uh, practically speaking, I can't foresee a situation where a court would say, "Okay, the state of emergency ends. I'm just going to pick a time." I'm, maybe I'm being optimistic. Maybe I'm being negative. The state of emergency ends on June 14, 2020, which is uh, practically speaking about three months from when it started. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine the court would say, okay, well, if you had a limitation period that was up in that three-month intervening time, uh, everything's due tomorrow. Uh, it just doesn't seem realistic and practical, right? Uh, perhaps what it would uh, what it would, it would involve would be um, if you had, um, let's say, a claim that you wanted to issue or had to be issued five days after that suspension started, perhaps it would be five days after the state of emergency uh, ended. I think that's a practical way to deal with it. Some lawyers online are, are going so far as to say that's exactly what the order and council says. I don't read it that way, but again, that's why we have lawyers in, in, this, in this country, in this province, to, to make these types of arguments. So do you, you know, when we look at it in a practical sense, does it make, I know you said that, so it's basically if you were five days from when the order was put in place, you think it'll be five days after the order is lifted. Um, is I there, think that's a fair and reasonable way to look at it, yeah. So is there any way, and I, I mean, these are uncharted waters. Has this ever happened before? We've done this, we've shut down the limitation period before? 
not not to my knowledge, but I've only been practicing for for six or seven years now, so uh, I, I I don't have the the historical um, understanding of it, but I do know uh, in looking at the reaction to this order in council online, and just seeing the reaction in the legal community, whether it's uh, sort of the the websites that I subscribe to that that deal with defense lawyers, or whether it's just generally how other law firms have been drafting up articles about what the implications of the order in council are. It seems to be pretty groundbreaking. It's not something that happens every day, right? For sure. So, uh, it's, pr- it's pretty remarkable uh, state of affairs, and, and I think it just echoes what the, the government is trying to project generally across the board, which is stay home, don't worry about your work, worry about self-isolating and flattening the curve, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, when I thought about it, I looked at it and thought this is part one of a part two type of situation that they're going to do. So I'm expecting, but again, I don't know, that they're going to have a part two to this saying maybe, hey, this is, you know, we told you part A was as of March 17th, everything stops. And then June 14th, like you said, here's what the rules are going to be moving forward. So if it was June 14th, those 90 days as if they disappeared, and the clock starts ticking again, like you said. Or is it possible they could say, hey, 90 days from today, all those things that fell within that limitation period have to be dealt with? I think the way you, one of those two options seems like the most realistic outcome for me. I think what inevitably will happen is once the state of emergency is lifted, or maybe even close to the time that it's about to be lifted, there'll be some sort of order in council that clarifies exactly what the, the, the effects of the suspension are. I think both both uh, <clears throat> both examples you provided are, are reasonable ways to approach it. I, I almost would be inclined to say the latter would be uh, a, a better situation just for the court staff, right? I mean, to be inundated uh, with all of these claims that, that might not have been issued during the, during the, uh, the suspension would be uh, overwhelming for any court staff. Now, with that said, I can I can let your listeners know that it's still possible to issue claims, e- right? It's still uh, the, the court staff are still the court is still open, and, and you can still file claims electronically as well. So that's still possible. It's just sort of an extension of, of the timelines to to start an action. Yeah, and and that's what I was getting at when I said that earlier. That I mean, they're allowing you to file to serve and even defend, but you don't have to. So if somebody serves on you, you don't have to defend in the, you know, your typical 20 days, right? At this point? Exactly. So it's, it's, exactly. it's giving you more time to, to look at all your defenses or whatever you have to do, right? Is, is really what's happening at this point. It's kind of like the courts have got their blinders on. Is that a fair assessment of it? Those, it lets those people who tripped and fell in, in a store or in a private property think an extra three or four months about whether they want to bring a claim. Yeah. Uh, now, as, as an example. Yeah. Um, so that, that's interesting. Now, um, is there any other things with regards to limitation periods um, on this? Is it, you know, is it just, um, is it, is that the only thing that's really happening with regards to that in on the limitation side of things? Or is there anything else that, you know, people should really know about? No, I, I think that covers it. I mean, the order in council in itself, I, I, I looked at the actual order. It's only 
one page. It's, it's about actually, really, it's about half a page. So it just blanket says uh, that uh, the limitation periods are suspended retroactive to Monday, March 16th, and any procedural step is suspended uh, for the duration of the emergency uh, retroactive to Monday, March 16th. So the, and the duration of the order is subject to renewal, uh, and uh, that's about it. So it's pretty blanket. It's, it's, it's sort of a shot across the ballot to all lawyers saying any procedural step. Practically speaking, the way this impacts most lawyers is the procedural step aspect, right? The, I need 20 days to serve the defense. I have uh, a certain amount of time if I've no issued a notice of action, for an example, to, to serve my claim, those types of things. Uh, that, that impact lawyers in the day-to-day. -day. Generally, you know you have about two, you have two years to serve the claim, but uh, in most situations, you're not going to see lawyers toe the line on that, on that limitation period uh, deadline too much for reasons you described earlier, Terry, where you just want to sort of err on the side of caution on that limitation period, and you don't really want to put it too, uh, too much to the test. So, uh, yeah, it's just a blanket... Uh, suspension and it's kind of gray just like the times we're living in i hate to, to sound like a broken record on that but um it's just a it's just a shot across the bow to all litigation lawyers that the, the, the focus now should be on staying home and 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 self-isolating and not necessarily uh getting you know not, not necessarily worried about the deadlines that are that are pressing in your litigation practice. Now, you said subject to renewal. Is there an expiry date on that? Great question. So what that means, Terry, is that uh, there's a certain, the state of emergency was declared on March 17, 2020, and the order in council is retroactive to Monday, March 16, 2020. So for as long as that state of emergency is in place, uh, the the order and council were made in, in, in place as well. So if the Ontario government elects to extend the state of emergency, uh, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm reading the order of council as we speak, and it's the the order of uh, the, the, the declaration of the state of emergency is declared pursuant to the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. So there are certain provisions under that act that say state how long a state of emergency can be uh, in place, uh, but it can be extended. So, so long as the government is taking uh, the steps necessary to keep that state of emergency in full force and effect in accordance with that um, legislation, uh, then this order of council that suspends limitation periods will also be in effect. Okay. All right. Well, I think that covers it all, Kevin, Is at this point. Uh, I think uh, if, you know, new stuff comes along, I'd love for you to reach out, let us know, and, uh, and we can get you back on and talking about that with regards to the changes in limitation and such. But I do have a question for you. Um, I saw something recently on Facebook, and it was that um, some plaintiff law firms were reaching out on Facebook and saying that if you had suffered a business interruption loss, that they were willing and uh, looking to help you make business interruption claims in this uh, COVID-19 climate. So have you guys been asked to take a look at coverages with regards to that yet? Or uh, has anything come around on your table in discussions on that yet? Uh, nothing on my table yet. I can tell you that it is very much on our radar 
how this epidemic uh, will uh, impact litigation going forward. I think that uh, there will be a whole host of ways that uh, plaintiff counsel or plaintiff lawyers uh, will be looking to attack the uh, the litigation aspect of the litigation part of the COVID-19 epidemic, whether it's um, employment issues, whether it's uh, whether it's business interruption, whether it's even allegations of someone um, recklessly <laughs> infecting them with the disease, right? Yeah, uh, so I see that. A whole host, yeah, there's a whole host of ways that I think that this is going, this is not going to be over once the, the epidemic is sort of died down and contained. Uh, it's it's going to be having a lasting impact in Ontario and, and every jurisdiction, I think, from a litigation standpoint for for many years to come, or at least as we've learned today, uh, for two years after someone has discovered uh, whatever loss they alleged to have, to have sustained as a result of COVID-19. Yeah, and I, I wonder about the Good Samaritan rule here as well, right? So, I mean, you know, somebody trying to do something good for somebody and, you know, inadvertently gets them sick and they either get, you know, quite injured, very injured, or even die from it. I mean, these are all these kind of things that I, you know, they're run through my head at night when I'm sitting, not, you know, looking at files on my desk. I think, my God, like, is that where we're at with this? You know, somebody working in a grocery store and they end up getting COVID-19. They don't know. They're asymptomatic. And, uh, you know, somebody comes in, they buy groceries, uh, they get sick, go home and die as a result. And they can trace it back to that one contact. I mean, we're talking about community contact here, right? Right. No, and, and, and even situations where someone was, was traveling. I mean, I think the majority of the COVID-19 cases to date, and I realize that I'm saying this at a specific point in time, but uh, which is relatively early in, in the days of, of, of self-isolation recommendations. But the majority of cases have been from people who've been traveling abroad, right, in Europe and, and other places. Yeah. But eventually, this is going to be more community-based. But as the example, using the example of someone who would have potentially contracted the, the virus in, in Europe or, or in somewhere where they were visiting, if they left the airport and opted to go against the recommendations of the government, which are to immediately go home and self-isolate for 14 days. If they opt to, to ignore that, and let's say, as you, as you use the example, Terry, uh, go to the grocery store and no one, no one leaves for a vacation with a, with a full fridge. So instead of going, instead of going home, uh, they go to the grocery store, fill up their cart, pass along the, the COVID-19 virus to the, the poor the poor person who's scanning their groceries. Um, what what does that open up? What kind of liability, if any, does that open up? Uh, that could be the landscape that we're looking at, and, and it's all doom and gloom. It's, I don't want to sound uh, sound negative in terms of in the types of cases that we might be looking at and staring in the face of for the next two years, but. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting landscape over the course of the next 24 months to, to, to 36 months and see how uh, how long these uh, these cases keep cropping up. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's, I'm just, I, I look at all of these things from potential liability trans, you know, um, aspects. I'm, I'm just really wondering, you know, how it's going to, how policies are even going to cover this. Is this covered under your homeowners? Is it, is it covered under your car? If you were in your car and you got somebody sick, you know, you transmitted it through somebody at a drive through window or that kind of a stuff. Gas like station. A gas station. Like, you know, you were touching a pump. 
Um, I sent my yeah. kids out. To, they were getting gas yesterday. I mean, I haven't left the house in 12 days since I came back from vacation. Uh, I'm self-isolating here with my family. And the only time my kids have gone out is, you know, they went to put gas in their car because it's 60 cents a liter um, here in eastern Ontario. So, I mean, but they went out and had gloves and wipe things down with, you know, disinfectant wipes. Like, everyone's taking these precautions, but it, it's never going to be enough. There is going to be transmission, right? Absolutely. So how that manifests itself in terms of, of, uh, of, of potential, potential lawsuits and, and insurance claims, it remains to be seen. It's, it, it's gray just like everything else is right now, but uh, we are going to have to really develop a uh, strong approach to it and there's going to be a lot of really interesting coverage opinions that i think you're going to read in the coming months terry and and uh it remains to be seen how how courts will will respond to these types of situations and it's it's an unprecedented uncharted territory situation that we're in right now and courts will respond accordingly uh, and that's what that's what lawyers are here for. But you know we're here to 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 assist our our, our insurance adjusters, and we're here to assist um, potential claimants as they as they navigate these these uncharted waters. But it's going to be a very interesting few more, uh, few few years coming up. Yeah, and Kevin, I, I'd love to have you back on. I I really would as this thing develops, kind of on a maybe a, a biweekly type thing as we get start to see some of the claims or are the coverage opinions coming in, and we can chat about them and uh, policies and coverages on that point. You know, not not so much just one company's coverage, but maybe you know, kind of as a broad spectrum of what we think coverages are going to be with regards to that. You know. Um, is business interruption. Does that, does that really, is that covered here? I mean, it's not war. It's not, uh, it, I don't see all these different things and I'm not sure, um, you know, they keep calling it a war, but is it really a war? Uh, you know, does, does that cut out coverage here? I mean, I'm sure insurers are just running around with their heads cut off right now, trying to figure out if policies have this coverage, and and if they do, the claims are going to be astronomical. Oh, there's no question about it. There's no question about it. If if coverage is is, is found to be to be in place, then there's going to be a lot of potential potential liability out there. So it, it's something that uh, that needs to be carefully considered and within the fine. The, the four corners of the policies that are that are in place, and you know, very detailed and very, very carefully considered coverage opinions need to be provided, and that's where lawyers like myself, and I know you, you've had my my colleague Mike Swinley on the uh, on the podcast before, but that's where lawyers like us can 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 help out some of your listeners. So, if there's anything that we can do, please please don't hesitate to to reach out to us, but. It's, it's going to be uh, a very interesting time in, in the next few years. Uh, the landscape is, is shifting, and there'll be a lot of really interesting things to consider as we, we see these types of claims come, come through the door, and there's no question they will. It's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah, and, and I think what's really great about this podcast, and I've said it before, Kevin, and I'll say it again, is we also have a plaintiff lawyer that's part of this podcast. We have John Russell from Die Russell LLP. And uh, I've known him for years. He was on the defense side. He's now on the plaintiff side. 
I'm going to reach out to him as well because I'd love for you to both be on the podcast the next time we talk about this and get his perspective on where he thinks the claims are going to come from. Because I'm sure with, you know, the Ontario trial lawyers, uh, the plaintiff's bar, they're going to be looking at that. And uh, I'm sure if they haven't, they're, you know, they're going to be doing that shortly. But something tells me they've already had some discussions around it because, like I said, I've seen some advertising uh, from some plaintiff law firms um, already. So I, I know it's coming, and uh, but I think it's going to come fast and furious, for lack of better words. No, I, I agree with you. It's, it's going to be, uh, uh, I, I think this is the calm before the storm, so to speak, which is, which is a little bit uh, of a difficult way to explain things, because frankly, it doesn't seem very calm right now. I know everyone's world is in flux, but uh, as we all take, take steps to try and flatten that curve and and plank the curve as they, as they describe it. But uh, in terms of the litigation uh, piece and the, the potential claims that might come, come through as a result of this epidemic, uh, I think this is really just just the, the, the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to see this really uh, boom in, in the next few, few uh, months and, and years to come. Uh, that's just my prediction. It's based only on where I, I expect things to go. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being on the podcast tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, the best to you and your family. Stay home, stay safe, and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you face to face soon. And, uh, you know, I look forward to speaking with you again. Uh, like I said, in the coming weeks, we'll reach out as soon as I start hearing uh, the birds chirping with regards to the actual, you know, um, what they're looking at as far as business interruption type stuff. I'm, I'm going to pass it along. And because uh, I'm going to reach out to some of my colleagues, the independents, the people that, you know, um, sit around the OIAA, they've all got their thoughts on it as well and uh, and see what their thoughts are. And then maybe we can get, like I said, yourself and John Russell on and uh, and we can banter about uh, what we think's really going to happen. So people have an idea. I mean, it's like you said, it's interesting times. It's uncharted waters. It's all those things. So but I do appreciate your time tonight. And uh Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure, Terry. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. I hope that I can do it again, and I look forward to, to chatting with John and giving both perspectives on, on this uh, very interesting uh, and undoubtedly uh, <laughs> area of the law that, that's about to be developed quite a bit. So uh, I'm very much uh, excited to, to be an active contributor to the podcast in the months to come. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week uh, with more content for you. I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. If you have any suggestions or any questions, please reach out to us. You can reach Kieran at Doherty664.com. Thanks again.